This is a Vantage House production. Hey folks, Jalen here. It feels so good to be back. And what a special treat we have for you today. I got to sit down with the incredible state representative, Mari Turner of Oklahoma. And this is easily one of my favorite episodes. So with that, if it's Friday, then this is The Delve. Twenty twenty two was one of the worst years on record for anti LGBTQ legislation, with over four hundred bills targeting this community. But don't let that hold you back, twenty twenty three. Already almost two hundred more bills have been filed across twenty two states, and it's only March. This community is under legislative attack, constant legislative attack, particularly trans folks. Across the country, Republican governors and legislatures have been pushing to ban trans athletes in sports, censor education material, and resources that acknowledge queerness, and maybe most frighteningly, criminalize gender-affirming care for trans youth as child abuse. Florida and Texas have been particularly harsh in their assaults. Governor Ron DeSantis infamously signed Florida's Don't Say Gay Bill, banning discussion of LGBTQ people from even existing in schools, while Governor Greg Abbott directed the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services to open child abuse investigations on parents providing gender-affirming care to their kids. This would be tragic enough if Texas and Florida were the outliers, but earlier this year, governors in South Dakota and Utah banned gender-affirming care to trans youth under the age of 18. Arkansas passed a similar ban in 2021 and Alabama passed a ban with felony punishments. Now Oklahoma has joined their ranks. Oklahoma House Bill 2177 bans gender-affirming care for people under 18. The bill has passed the House and now hits to the Senate. If passed, it means that a young person receiving gender-affirming care, which can include taking puberty blockers or hormones, would be required to taper off their medication and stop it completely within six months. Imagine! All of the doctors agree that this is not good medicine. It's straight up dangerous to their mental well-being. And House Bill 2177 is only one of a combined 58 anti-LGBTQ laws banning transgender healthcare, prohibiting boycotts in favor of trans rights, and restricting education on gay subjects in Oklahoma and Missouri. We actually have a short clip of a debate in the Missouri State House on one of their bills. Here we have gay Republican state rep Phil Cristofanelli questioned fellow Republican Representative Ann Kelly's anti-LGBTQ school bill, which would largely prohibit material about sexual orientation and gender identity in public and charter schools, all the way through grade 12. The law is actually so odd and extreme, it makes Florida's don't say gay bill seem kind of chill. Take a listen. I'm just going to read you the, the language in your bill. No classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties relating to sexual orientation or gender identity shall occur. Um, Lady, you mentioned George Washington. Who is Martha Washington? His wife. Under your bill, how could you mention that in a classroom? So to me, that's not sexual orientation. Really? 
So it's only really certain sexual orientations that you want prohibited from introduction in the classroom. Do you have language to make that better, to make it where you're not talking? Lady, I didn't introduce your bill. Okay. Uh, and I, I didn't write it. You wrote it. And so I'm asking what it means. Which sexual orientations do you believe should be prohibited from Missouri classrooms? We all have a moral compass. And my moral compass is compared with Bible. Lady, I believe during your testimony, you said that you didn't want teachers' personal beliefs entering the classroom, but it seemed a lot like your personal belief you would like to enter all Missouri classrooms. You You can believe something without putting that onto somebody by the way you behave. And you can have beliefs and morals and values that guide you through life. I I don't dispute that, but I'm asking about the language of your bill and how it would permit the mention of the historical figure Martha Washington. Could you explain that to me? Could it be mentioned under the plain reading language of your bill? Is that a no? I, I, I don't know, sir. Okay. Not all of these bills will become law, but Bill 2177 passed the Oklahoma House with 80 yeas and only 18 nays. This is truly wild. And it's not even just the minors under attack. New bills enacted in Arizona and Alabama late last year would effectively force trans adults, yes, adults, to detransition by restricting gender-affirming care they may already be utilizing. Kansas, Virginia, New Hampshire, and Oklahoma have all proposed similar bans. At the end of the day, I think it comes down to this. This is very unkind and and it's a massive overreach of government power. I know many of these Republican legislatures consider themselves Christians and believe they are doing the Lord's work. But if you really cared about protecting children, you'd probably want to focus on the leading cause of death for children. You know what that is? Firearms. Firearms literally kill and have impacted more children than healthcare for trans folks or colorful drag shows. People, whatever happened to convincing folks or persuading people to your side? Republicans are now just using the full brute force of government to tell people what they can or can't do, or who they can or can't be. And obviously, nothing says freedom and liberty like these bills. The weird thing about progress is it's often like this. We have a push forward and a reactionary swing back. That doesn't negate the very real trauma this community is experiencing and will continue to experience as the arc ever so slowly bends towards justice. But I believe that with conversation, visibility, compassion, and activism, we can defeat this unprovoked attack on LGBTQ rights. With that in mind, like I mentioned earlier, I'm joined by Mari Turner, an Oklahoma state representative who is breaking many glass ceilings as the first publicly non-binary U.S. state lawmaker and the first Muslim member of the Oklahoma state legislature. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. And please remember, be kind. Hi, everyone. I have the most amazing pleasure of having such a great guest with us today. Representative uh, Mari Turner of Oklahoma, how are you today? I am doing well. I am uh, very thankful that you asked me to be here and for the opportunity to share a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I want to start this off just kind of asking you 
about your story. You know, you are a lot of first <laughs> in Oklahoma, and I think they're all so incredible. Um, so why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners and, you know, give them a, a bit of your story. For sure. Yeah, so my name is Maureen Novak Raja Salima Turner. I am the first Muslim elected in Oklahoma in the Oklahoma State Legislature, as well as, um, to the best of my knowledge, what they tell me is the first non-binary person elected to a state-level position in U.S. history. Um, I grew up in small town of Oklahoma. Uh, first time I left there was when I went to another small town in Oklahoma for university. I went to Oklahoma State University. And I think the next time I really kind of left there was when I moved to Oklahoma City to go to work for the ACLU after college. Growing up in small town Oklahoma, my mom and my grandmother and basically just like everybody in my family that I looked up to worked in the public health sector in some way, shape or form. And so I was like, okay, health in some way, shape or form is what I need to do as well. But at a very young age, I had the understanding that I wasn't a people person. (laughs) So uh, veterinary medicine is what I went to college for. Uh, went to school to become a veterinarian around my junior year, um, uh, kind of course corrected, had a little serendipitous moment where I was like, I think um, uh, I want to go into community organizing because uh, it was something I had already been doing. I just didn't really have the language for it just yet. And that is what ended me up at the ACLU, which that is not the point of this. The ACLU is, I guess, ultimately what ended me up, ended me up in politics. So. Okay. I am starting off with, um, this is all over the news everywhere, Um, House Bill 2177. This bill just passed in the House and it's heading to the state Senate. And can you just tell us what this bill is? Yeah, so um, uh, the bill number, yeah, House Bill 2177, um, uh, I refer to it as the Detransition Oklahoma Bill. Um, So it is a bill that um, effectively does away with best practice medical care for folks who are 18 and under um, and um, has the caveat that also your insurance companies will not be able to help assist in any of this. So effectively ending transitional health care for all Oklahomans. Um, uh, which is very detrimental. Um, I think when I took this job, there were a lot of things where I was like, you'll just, you won't be able to prepare for everything. Um, uh, but I never in my life thought I would have to talk Oklahomans through what detransitioning over the next few months looks like. So the house author has said, if you want to transition, you can still transition. You just have to do it completely out of pocket, which I think um, uh, we're compiling some stats across Oklahoma to see what the average Oklahoman spends on healthcare. And um, as the numbers come in right about now, we're sitting at around $4,000 to $5,000 a year. And we are still sitting at a federal minimum wage of $725. And so Ultimately, what I'm saying is that Oklahomans can't afford to transition safely and healthily, right? Because we already don't make a living wage. We don't have st- stable housing, things like this. And so when we take away that caveat of insurance being able to help, um, I think it sends a clear message to Oklahomans. So that is the synopsis of, of what the bill does a little bit. So why do you think, I mean, this is not just, you know, unique to Oklahoma. This is kind of 
going all around the country. What, why do you think these kinds of bills are passing? You know, is it uh, fear-based? Is it hate-based? Or, you know, some of the authors even maybe well-meaning, but they're just like, you know, misreading what's happening? I think in Oklahoma, um, I can't say for authors across the nation, but I think in Oklahoma specifically, the authors are not well-meaning, in my very humble opinion. <laughs> um, uh, I think one of the things is that we see a lot of folks will come into elected positions and enact policy based off of homegrown bigotry. And some folks right. will would like to call it fear, right? Um, uh, what we've seen across the nation is that I really think communities have ramped up the way we show up for one another um, and increasingly so in the past 10 years. And that scares people who have always been in power and who have always been in proximity to power. The fact that the playing field could be level for how we care for each other. Right. Um, uh, a lot of folks in the majority create policies off of the understanding, their understanding that you have to have a haves and a have nots bucket in order for some folks to survive. And folks who have always been systematically and purposely pushed in the margins, right, and, and uh, been disenfranchised, have always had these collective surgeons of community organizing that says, like, and how do we get that liberation for all of us, right? How do we make sure that everyone gets free? Um, uh, and those movements are getting bigger and bigger as technology allows us to continuously recreate and reach out to folks and say, like, hey, what are you doing? How could that how could that work here? Um, uh, and I think like that, I think the power of community scares people. Right. Like last year, there was a man in the Oklahoma legislature who had served his full 12 years. Uh, we have 12 year term limits here in Oklahoma. And he had served his full 12 years in his, in his retirement speech. One of the things he doted on was that he had only knocked seven doors in his entire 12 years, right? And like keeping people in the dark about the real issues that are going on, right? Like, I also think the Senate author has a national ranking of D's in some of the counties that he represents when it comes to quality of life, right? Like there are real issues that Oklahomans are facing. And instead of doing, and instead of actually doing the difficult thing, which is to honestly, at this point, the easy thing, right? Which is to provide Oklahomans with resources and with healthcare. Um, they want to do what they think is the easy thing and continue to wage this war on trans Oklahomans, gender nonconforming Oklahomans, people who are different than them, people who want to show up fully and authentically as themselves. So. I, I'm, I'm actually really, really curious. What is the process of, um, you know, of passing a bill? Are, you know, is there an author? They bring it to committee. It's good vote out of committee it goes to the full house there's readings and then it gets voted on and it goes to senate or what what does that look like you have a really interesting perspective being that uh you are part of that process yes um so i am a auditory and a bit of a pictorial learner so um uh i think the best way for me to kind of put it into a picture is that it is a figure eight essentially 
in, in the Oklahoma legislature and probably in a, a good portion of them. So what happens is that we come up with an idea and that is like the two far ends of um, this uh, infinity symbol or figure eight. And maybe it's a little bit of a figure eight with strings attached, right? So the, the strings at the east and west end are the time it takes us to come up with an idea uh, that we want to put into policy, right? So that's the research. Um, uh, and I also want to state that these two ends of the figure eight are the House and the Senate in Oklahoma. So what happens is that you've, we've got all of this time to research a piece of legislation, right? What do we specifically want it to say? Who are we trying to work for or against in some situations, right? Is it for community members? Is it for like Oklahoma Health Association, right? Things like that. And then that's the string. And then once you actually get to the figure eight point, that is when your bill is going to be assigned to a committee. And so um, uh, that is a quarter of a way of the way through the figure eight. It has to pass through committee or it dies in committee. And I won't even say completely dies because things will have the opportunity to come back, but we'll talk about that maybe a little later. Um, so for the purpose of this, you get assigned to a committee. If it makes it through the committee, then you have to go to your house floor or your chamber of origin floor. So for me, one bill that we also got into committee this year was an HIV decriminalization bill that was just heard on Wednesday in um, the House Criminal Justice and Corrections Committee. So we did all of our research. We submitted this bill. It got into criminal justice and corrections. It, um, if it were to make through, make it through criminal justice and corrections, it would then be published, which means that it has an opportunity to go to the House floor. Um, so the House floor part is the center of the figure eight. And so that's the House and the Senate, right? So um, they meet in the middle. You have to pass a committee, your floor of origin, so the House or the Senate. And then if it passes the floor of origin, then you switch chambers and that gotcha. bill goes to a committee. So mm. my House bill would go to a committee in the Senate. It would have to go through the Senate floor. And then if it was passed through the Senate with no amendments, then it would go to the governor's desk. If it had amendments, it would have to go back to the House one more time to make sure that we were okay with all of the amendments that the Senate made. And then it would go to the governor's desk. Does that make sense? Yeah, the, the visual with the figure eight really, really helped. <laughs> um, okay, so this bill, it passes through the House, I'm guessing went through the committee because obviously it passed the House. Um, we're talking 80 plus yays. Yeah. That's nuts. It is, it's very interesting, I think, for a few reasons, mm. right? Um, because you will always have decent people. Um, you will always have your folks who are outwardly vocal. And then you'll have your folks who are like, they shouldn't even be listening to this, but it's my party, so I'm going to vote with them, right? Um, uh, and then you've got the folks who are fire and brimstone, like anti-trans folks, right? So it's wild for a few reasons. And I think... One, having to hear the stories of children or of the youth of Oklahoma and their families that are trying to figure out if they can financially stay or if they can financially leave. And then we 
go into this building and last year we ripped away abortion care access. Um, and this year we are ripping away health care for trans Oklahomans, right? And like, I think ultimately maybe the best way to sum it up is that like healthcare is vanishing in rural Oklahoma for so many reasons. Like there are some places in rural Oklahoma where in order to get the healthcare that you need, you'll have to drive maybe an hour, hour and a half, some places two hours, right? Um, and this also is sending a signal to doctors and um, uh, future physicians of Oklahoma to say like, you actually, even though you spent years studying this, right? And you know what's best, we don't believe that and we want to regulate what you do, right? So then you can't provide the best medical care for your patients. That makes potential physicians as well as current physicians leave the state. There are physicians that are already leaving the state. When this was up for debate, I got notes from students from our OU Health, like our OU Medical Center that said like, I am a member of this community, right? And I'm also practicing to be able to provide care. I can't get healthcare here, let alone provide the type of healthcare that I want to specialize in. So I can't stay, right? Every day we legislate on the brain drain that we say we're trying to stop. And, and I think it's hard for so many reasons, ultimately. Uh, what is the response from Republicans, when I mean, I'm sure they also get these notes, you know, what are their policy solutions to, um, to keep, you know, future doctors and, and medical professionals from leaving? But I'm sure it's not just, you know, folks in, in, in that industry, there's probably other folks who are just like, what's happening here? Yeah, I think last year we put $700 million into a fund to get a couple of companies to come to, to try to see if a couple of companies would come to Oklahoma. And they actively didn't, like Panasonic. Um, and I think one of the reasons is because like they care about their employees, right? They want to make sure that they have access to healthcare and the things that thrive because like you want to, like, if your employees are sick and can't show up, then your business fails. Sure, yeah. right? <laughs> um, uh, and, and so they want to make sure that they are taking care of folks. Right. And so we've missed out on deals like Panasonic and well, I'm not so sad that we missed out on Tesla, but, <laughs> but, um, uh, but those are things, right. Is that like companies don't want to actively come to Oklahoma because we are creating a state where folks can't survive, let alone thrive. And why would I pick up a business and move it to Oklahoma if my, my family can't thrive if I work there. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, and so we hear from our governor a lot about how he wants to make this a business friendly state, but we don't actually hear a lot how he wants to make this an Oklahoman friendly state, right? Like, what are the things that we are putting in place to make sure that Oklahomans live, right? And so from the economic loss that we are creating from businesses not coming to Oklahoma, right? Jobs not coming to Oklahoma to not giving Oklahomans a living wage or access to affordable and equitable housing to making sure that hospitals are vanishing in rural Oklahoma and physicians are vanishing from all over Oklahoma. It is creating and Oklahoma, where we are the top 10 in the worst outcomes for Oklahomans, for human beings, right? From Jeez. quality of life for women, from uh, uh, 
infant mortality rates, public education, right? HIV and AIDS in rural Oklahoma, top like in, I think, around the top seven in the nation there, right? Um, uh, all of these are public health care concerns. Lack of access to education is public health care concern, right? Like so many things. So I'm just like puzzled why there is this adversity to providing <laughs> health care. <laughs> and, <Maybe both>. yeah. <laughs> What is your guiding principle if you're like, oh, no, we can, you know, cut funding for that. You know, we don't need rural, you know, hospitals. Yeah, we can. What What is guiding you? Not you, but. I will never be able to completely put myself in the mind of someone who is ready to stop folks from getting healthcare access, especially when it has, and when it doesn't personally affect you, right? The rhetoric around it is that like, you can't use public funds to do these things. Like last year in our special session back in October, the Oklahoma, I want not even the Oklahoma legislature, but the Republican party in the Oklahoma legislature held our healthcare facilities hostage by saying, you, none of you will get any money because this one clinic is doing best practice medical care for trans youth, which best practice medical care is not just surgery. It is therapy, right? It is puberty blockers, right? So many things. But also on top of that, so many, so much of the medication, I don't think that um, a lot of the folks who are against best practice medical care for trans Oklahomans understand that a lot of the medicine that folks are using isn't just for trans folks, right? Like it, like there have been representatives that have admitted on the house floor that they are actively taking testosterone. So ultimately, right. I think the guiding principle must be total control, right? Because we thought they would stop at a little bit of like a denying access to abortion, right? When they said six weeks and then, and then they got just keeps going. total ban, right? And then they said, well, it's, we just don't think that children should be able to have these surgeries. Um, uh, but then they did a ban on best practice medical care as a whole for folks under 18. And then they said, well, oh, well, if we attack the insurance companies, if we just outline 18 in this bill and then we add the caveat about insurance and that's everyone effectively, right? Like it will never, they will never be satisfied because someone who is worried about total control is always worried about the next thing that they can take away from someone else. So they think that they can have more. Right. And folks having equal access to life, me being able to access the same type of healthcare you access doesn't make you access less healthcare. It just means we both get to be healthy, right? And and so that is the only reasoning that I can truly understand. Um, uh, because even with folks saying like, I just don't think kids should be making these decisions. It's like, it's not just use, right? It is your family and it is you sitting through those conversations again and again and again and your healthcare provider talking you through like, what are the options? Like, and also stair-stepping you through it, right? Like, I think what is the, the percentages around 89% of youth who, um, uh, are talking about, uh, being trans and trans affirming care 
are still talking about those things and getting that care well after they turn 18. And um, uh, of that percentage, I think a 97%, did I say, I want to say like 98% was that first percentage, if I, I want to make sure I'm saying that right. And then 97% of that 98% um, uh, are still trans throughout their entire lives, right? I, I just want to jump in. I can imagine that, you know, the you know, folks on the other side are like, oh, well, it's too, they're too young. They don't know what they're doing. They're going to change their minds later. No one's looking at data. <laughs> no one's having conversations and be like, oh, well, maybe this is a decision they're firmly, you know, for. Um, so it's just be harmful, be destructive if it affects people. Yeah, sorry. Right. And I think about the amount of people who work in the Oklahoma legislature that some of them are legislators, some of them aren't legislators, right, who have trans children, right, or trans family members and carrying the weight of that, right, or are trans interns or trans pages, right, or gender diverse community members as a whole having to hear about how your community leaders think about you in such grotesque ways is earth shattering. Sure. I remember the first time I didn't feel comfortable in my body, right? Um, It was the summer before sixth grade and not, and not that I just like didn't feel comfortable, but I finally had the words to kind of, to figure that out, right? That I just didn't feel like I was in a body that I felt like didn't belong to me. And a lot of things transpired in those three years for me that was just kind of like very detrimental. I didn't think I was going to make it through high school. Like I didn't think I would live through high school. And that is a battle that so many of us face. Um, uh, I was in my late 20s when I bought a binder for the first time because I was like, wait, that's an opportunity that's afforded to me. I can do that now. I make my own money and I get to make the decisions about my life. And then when I started saying like, oh my goodness, like, and now I've got my own insurance, right? Like I can, I can get top surgery for myself, right? Like all of these different things, like, and that is just like my story, but it's not unique, right? That's something that folks across Oklahoma and folks across the U.S. share, right? In creating a life where we get to live. Because I think a 30th birthday for somebody who is trans is golden. And I think it's such a, I think maybe for some folks, it's arbitrary. I want to make sure that the trans youth, the gender non-conforming youth of Oklahoma get to see 30 and well beyond it. Uh, so, yeah. Um, sorry. No, no, I, I think it's, it's, it's so important. Um, we hear statistics all the time about uh, trans folks not making it to 30. Um, and uh, it's it's so important that we have leaders like you who are able to, you know, talk about um, the issues that, you know, these folks face and be an advocate for them. And not just because you care, you're actually in the trenches in that fight. Um, 
it's it's incredible. Um, it it actually leads me really well into the next question. What has like that experience been in the state legislature overall? I mean, I don't know how you feel. Do you feel pigeonholed as like the LGBTQ you know representative? Uh, what's what's that like? I do. Yeah. <laughs> If I'm being completely honest, like I came uh, from the ACLU in like my forte, so to speak, um, uh, it's criminal justice reimagining and rebuilding um, uh, and the intersections, right? It touches all communities, especially in Oklahoma, having one of the highest rates of incarceration in the world. Um, it touches all of our communities so strikingly and so uniquely. And I knew that I was going to be the first Muslim that was elected into the state legislature. But I didn't know I was the first non-binary person elected in U.S. history until I think the day after my general election. Like, Isn't a, that like uh, That's like mind-blowing. It was. I just, I, was, <laughs> I know there's got to be somebody else. Like it couldn't be me. But that was also the thing is that like, as a 2SLGBTQ plus person, as a queer person who grew up in the Bible Belt, like a, like the buckle of the Bible Belt, I could tell you, like how I probably, like if you add up all the time, I probably spent years of my life praying for acceptance or for a swift end. Um, the work that I get to do and the way I got to see myself in my community, I think especially like after I left college, like getting into college, create like doors flew open for me to be able to see myself. And then leaving college and going in to work at the ACLU also granted me the space to be able to continue to explore myself and figure out who I am. And all of that was so formative. But in this 2SLGBTQ plus community, like in our communities, we have to continuously let people in, right? Some people call it coming out, but we let people into this intimate part of ourselves. Because me personally, I'm a workaholic. I've, I couldn't tell you, like, I don't have to tell you five things about me in order to get the work done in my mind, right? But so much of community organizing politics is being able to provide a visibility to folks who want to who want to return to politics and who want to return to politics. And I and as a community organizer, my big skill is being able to listen to accountability through hurt, like hearing accountability through hurt and figuring out what is the next step. I and being able to listen to folks and see sometimes like where our commonalities are. And I remember sitting in a meeting with the chair in 2021 after I was elected. I had a bill to create um, uh, a third gender marker for uh, state IDs. And the chairman looks at me and asks me, what's my genitalia as a non-binary person? Um, he said he knew what, like, if there was a wreck and folks were unrecognizable. He knew what he was looking for on a man and he knew what he was looking for on a woman, but like on a non-binary person, what am I looking for? And I'm like, why are you looking at genitalia anyway? We're, this is a bill about IDs to ID people. <laughs> so, um, and then another time I just had a committee chairperson just write keel across my bill and hand it back to me. 
Like it is, politics is not for, I guess, the faint hearted ultimately, right? Especially if you are not a white cishet man, because I, I don't actually know anybody more faint hearted than a white cishet man. <laughs> and that's why we get legislation like this, like 2177. But I think it's jarring, right? I would be remiss to say, like, I haven't relived some of the worst parts of, like, middle school and high school in politics, right? Like, um, uh, seeing myself as valid or things like that. But this is what I'll also say, is that the youth in the district and across Oklahoma, right? I get calls from, on any given day, a number of districts outside of my own from folks saying, like, this is not my represent. like, this is who my representative is, or I don't even know who my representative is, but I know that you are my representative, right? And that is powerful. That gives me the strength to be able to wake up and go back into the Capitol each day. The fact that I get to be for some folks what I needed as a kid, right? And that's, I get that's to be powerful. now too, right? And so- uh, Mari, you keep going right into the questions that I have, like in in front of me, and it's it's actually quite incredible. I was going to ask next, like, who are your constituents? What's the movement, you know, that that's behind you? What does that look like? Realistically, the folks of House of Trade. It's like one, like it's very diverse. I think roughly twenty three percent Latina. Um, about 6% Asian American Pacific Islander, um, uh, around 40 some odd percent white, um, I think around 9% black. Um, and so there's also the thing of like, I think I'm like one of the first like presenting people of color to hold this seat um, uh, that has not been white, right? And doesn't represent a minority majority district as well. Um, like, quite literally at every point of our election, like made historic strides. And I think that's my opening for who the people of House District 88 are, right? Like House District 88 is full of community organizers and activists, right? Folks who just care, like whether or not they know that they are community organizers and activists, right? There are just always people who are asking like, well, how do we help this community? Like, if I'm not a part of it, how do we help them? Or if I am a part of it, like, what are the resources available to us? Like, what are the things that we can amplify? And I used to say, like, I think, like, every representative thinks like this, but I'm not so sure that they do. But I, I've lived in a few different house districts in Oklahoma, and I've grown up on this little stretch of I-35 from Ardmore to Stillwater, Oklahoma. And spent a good portion in House District 88 before I even knew what a House District was. And it has always called to me. It's felt like home. 88 is a hub of arts, culture, entertainment, and education, right? Um, a, a place of understanding. And I get to learn to hone those skills of listening to and hearing accountability through hurt because of House District 88, right? Like, if I got my feelings hurt every time someone tried to course correct me as a representative that is supposed to represent roughly 39,000 people, but realistically so many other people outside of that, I wouldn't be an effective representative. So 
um, uh, from the demographic breakdown to just the fact that it is a community that is bound in love and appreciation and community care and mutual aid. That's it, right? And I, I don't get to be here and talk to you without the people in House District 88. I don't get to go and look at those folks in the face and make them uncomfortable every day if it weren't for the folks of House District 88. It seems like they are equally pouring into you as as much as you're being their advocate. Yes, yes. I, I, it's so funny. Like, um, I am a, a single guardian right now, but also think like I've got 30. It's like so many different things, right? Like I've got 39,000 bosses. And, you know, usually you just have a lot of trouble with one boss. <laughs> but because of the makeup in the sense that like it is so much community organizing and education from one another, it's probably been on that front, one of the easiest jobs I've ever had. When it comes to the legislature specifically, one of the hardest jobs I've ever had. <laughs> but um, uh, they do. They continuously pour into me. And it's a it's a really great place. And uh, I think House District 88 is probably one of the best places to live. It'll be like serving the people for of House District 88 for even just the past two years and going into this third one will be the honor of a lifetime. And I, I can honestly say that. I love that. Um, a, a funny thing that we kind of have in common, I actually ran for office <laughs> um, uh, last month. I, I ultimately lost my race, so that's a little sad. Uh, but I ran for Pennsylvania State House. Um, so yeah, it's really, really interesting because I see like a lot of similarities between, you know, what you're describing in your district and some of the things that we have and in our district. Um, but I, I love that. It, it seems like there's just this American story, you know, that we want to help our communities. We want to, you know, uplift people who are down in the, you know, in the trenches. And, and it, it, it sucks when there's like these forces that try to block that progress. Um, but I think it's folks like you who are just, goodness gracious, I don't know, you're like, a hero, really. <laughs> no, not that. I just, I like to do the work of people. You give me a task and I'm completely the best. But there are two things that I want to say, right? Mm. Um, uh, so in my time uh, in college, uh, I ended up studying uh, what I, what I, my focus was animal science, political science, and sociology. And political science always, like the number one thing I took from that, which, sorry to all my professors, um, uh, the number one thing I took from my time in our political science department was that your first to second election is about name recognition and your second to third is when you will win it if you will win it. And so I like when I ran for office in, in 2021, I promise you when I say we ran that campaign, like we were absolutely going to win it all. In my heart of hearts, though, I was like, we'll probably be here in 2023. And there were so many other people like on like state legislature, absolutely like school board, city council, so many other people like county clerk that ran in that same time that I wish they would have ran again. Like the folks running in Oklahoma specifically in 2020, it was a dream team slate. And I feel like that happens every year. But also, I think it's one of those things that it's like easier said than done. Like I won my first election. So, yeah, I can say like, and you should run again. Like that first election was hard. It's hard. <laughs> yes, it is so hard, especially like if you are already not like connected in politics. It's exhausting. So if I could like say like 
please run again. I'm encouraging you to please run again. That's like, very kind of you. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. It, it, we, it was just last month. I'm still like re <laughs> recuperating. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm taking my little break. Um, it's exhausting, you know, the, um, the events, you know, the folks that you have to talk to, the staffing, the projects, all the, you know, little tiny things like approving an ad and you, you go through all this stuff. It's a lot. Um, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess, what can we do to support local candidates? Um, what's, what's something that local candidates like you around the country, what can folks do? Or maybe folks should become local candidates. Uh, I always encourage people, I put in my concession speech, I implore folks to get involved themselves. If they see something wrong and they can, they can make it right, go for it. Yeah. All of that, right? Like, one, democracy, like, if you, if you believe in it, if you want to believe in it, in it, it only works when people show up and share their why, right? Um, uh, like that is one of the most important things I think that I try to remember. Also realizing that politics is movement work too, and made in like deep movement work, right? And there is always a place for everybody in the movement. You actually might want to be the politician and you are best suited to be a campaign manager, right? Or a finance person. So like, I want you to sit down and really think about the things that you care about. Growing up, my big thing was like, if someone let me help, I was there. I loved volunteering, right? And so that was what I told myself. Like the folks of House, that's also a thing. Folks of House District 88 asked me to run for office. I was looking for someone to run for office. I was like, are you thinking about running? Can I convince you to run? Can I work on your campaign? And then folks started doing the same thing to me. Um, uh, but I think ultimately um, finding the people who are closest to the issues because they have been making solutions in their everyday lives. And those solutions we can absolutely extrapolate to help save a state, right? Um, uh, and so also really critically think about the folks that you are putting into office and that you want to put into office. Like, is it someone who is going to toe the line or is it someone who is going to push and call folks to action? Because we don't get to, like, you and I don't get to sit on this call without someone continuously pushing and pushing hard, right? Those lunch counter sit-ins, right? Those, like, the march to Selma, right? Like, these things are, in, like, integral to preservation, right? The continuously pushing back. And we are going to need more people who will boldly stand on those principles, right? And who are fighting for people without knowing their names. That's the thing too. Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr., Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, like these folks never knew our names to fighting for true And I will, like, I think about that every day I wake up and I pray, right? face Mecca. And I think like my job here is to make sure that folks in our communities are preserved and get to grow and thrive and be the most them as possible. That's, that's the Oklahoma standard I'm trying to create. And so I want you to think about that. But one of the big things that I want to make sure I touch on is that 
politics isn't accessible if you are in these communities already, right? If you are not well off, right? If you are working two to three jobs, you probably don't have a job that's going to let you take off to knock doors or something like that. So also creating a financial infrastructure so folks can run for office, which is what I'm continuously trying to figure out how to do here. So can we do some crowdfunding so I can make rent or utilities, yeah. right? So I can afford childcare. Yep. Can we do those things? That's something that we absolutely will need. Uh, second that, uh, that became a very real thing uh, on the campaign uh, for sure. Um, so I, I definitely know what you mean. What are, I guess, some organizations that you are supporting or our listeners could support? Um, how could we support you and uplift you and the work that you're doing? What's, you know, what's some of those good things we could get behind? For sure, for sure. If you've got a local organization, like, don't get me wrong, I work to ACLU. Um, I sit on the board of Glisten. Like, I love national organizations. I really do, right? Mm. But right now, I think not just Oklahoma, but states across the U.S. are surviving on mutual aid. And your local folks who are keeping tabs on the bills that are running through, like your legislative session or are being thought about if you are in an every other year session type thing, like those things. So like Freedom Oklahoma is on the ground here, right? If you've got an equality fed chapter, right? Like, yes, national donations are good, but like keeping that money in your community to make sure that those folks are being taken care of and, continue, and can continue to take care of you. So important. Those grassroots organizers Buy them a cup of coffee, buy them lunch, right? Give them a little gift card. Um, uh, sometimes it's just a little thank you card to say, like, I see you. Like, it is torturous out here. Because, like, I was sitting on the house floor, and I got a, and a, I got a couple of text messages, one from a librarian and the other from uh, uh, an attorney in the district. It was like, oh, my goodness. Like, thank you so much for being able to. And, like, sometimes, like, that's just the boost of energy I need to be like, and, yeah, I'm about to give the debate of my life out here. <laughs> Um, uh, because Judy said I am, um, uh, and and I think like that's that's it too, right? Um, so making sure that you are really pulling back into the folks who are doing everything that they can for you in those local organizations is very very important. Me personally, I think one of the things is like we our internship program for uh, the campaign side of things is based in giving people a lens into politics that might not have had one before. So political organizing for young folks who are like really starting to get into politics and not just like folks who already knew every, know everything about politics or think they know everything about politics. Um, uh, and to be able to do that, like I also love to pay my interns. So if you want to do a donation to our campaign, I love that because we also, we don't take any big money. Um, uh, all of our donations come from small dollar donors who are doing $3 a month, $5 a month, some of them $20. Every now and then we'll get a good, like a random donation from like across the nation or something like that. And I'm like, oh, this is like really cool. Um, uh, but those things help too, because like we've got a lot of folks that around us that are raising like, you know, six figure donations. And we're, we sit at like maybe five, $7,000 in the bank, like to be able to keep the digital lights on and keep our interns paid. And so um, uh, if you want to do a little love offer in there, I would absolutely love it. <laughs> absolutely. The interns are wonderful. And I want to make sure they are always paid because I don't need to do anything without yeah. this around me. So Yeah, perfect. 
And I guess, what would you want to leave us with? What would, what makes you hopeful? Uh, what keeps you going? Oh my gosh. I think that's <laughs> it. I, the, the interns, like one of our youngest volunteers was like 13 doing, doing wow. phone banking with us, right? Like the youth, yeah. like truly, um, but also like in the ways that they are act like taking action when it comes to getting involved in politics, like you can't even vote and you're like actively invested in it. Like in like, there are some legislators who will say like, you can't vote. So you're not my constituent. Like if you live in the balance of house district 88, you are my constituent. And then everybody who cares about house district 88 or the work that we do also honorary constituents, like, yes. And so I think that's it, right. It's like the youth and how they are showing up and living authentically and holding government, right, accountable and taking them to task, right, running for office, like, absolutely, like, that gives me energy every day. I'm like, maybe I can leave a little bit sooner than what I thought. <laughs> so, um, uh, I think that's it, really, like, community organizers and activists, working family party, like, unions, like, when I see a new union, when I see a new Starbucks union or something like that, I'm like, yes. So, um, I, I mean, I think it's just the way communities continuously are growing and how they care for each other and care for themselves. I think that's that. That's it. Continue to do it. I think that would be the thing I want to leave you with. And in, in whatever way you can, continue to care for your community. If that's running for office, volunteering. If it's just doing a, a meal train, right, in your neighborhood, like, that is community care. That is a political act. It seems like more and more every day when we have to see what's going on in our state legislatures. Like the legislation is against community care and showing up in community, right? Um, uh, and every day we get to push back on that is powerful and beautiful. And seeing more people come into that fold, I'm all here for. Yeah. I think as as much as you've been speaking to our listeners, you know, over the course of of this episode, you're also really just been speaking to me. I I've, I've really really enjoyed this. You have no idea. Uh, once again, you are a hero. Um, so I applaud you and I love the work that you're doing. Everyone, the most amazing uh, representative, Mari Turner. Thanks so much for coming on the Dell. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe and leave us a review. If you learned something in this episode, I encourage you to share it with a friend and check out some of our other episodes. Once again, I'm Jalen. This is The Delve. I'll see you next Friday.